0: Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Catch UFC 277 at Walters this Saturday night as Juliana Pena takes on Amanda Nunes in Dallas. The fight card begins at 9.
1: Register at waltersdc.com to receive one free spicy margarita. We're driven by the search for better.
2: But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. And the pitch swung on, hit in the air to right center field. Soto and Robles on the run. Can anyone get there? No, it's off the base of the wall. Fielded by Soto. Two runs are going to score. Turner has scored. Thompson following him. And into second with a booming two run double to right center field is Hanser Alberto. Straight away in all fields, in the outfield, Corbin delivers, and Lux swings, hits one in the air to right center field, hanging up, Robles and Soto converging, and they let it drop between them. Rounding third is Barnes, he's coming home, Hernandez throw to the plate, is offline, and in it's second is Gavin Lux. And the Dodgers lead 6 to un
0: Un-un-unbelievable. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, July 28, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, if someone who doesn't follow the Nationals intently asks you, hey, what happened with the Nats' three-game winning streak? What happened with the potential for the Nats to complete a three-game sweep at the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers? Your answer can simply be, uh, Patrick Corbin happened. And if that person has any sense on the Nats, uh, that person will understand fully what went down. There was no sweep of the Dodgers for the Nats in Los Angeles. There was no win for the Nats at the Dodgers on Wednesday afternoon. There was, though, a Patrick Corbin blow-up start, and this was a special kind of blow-up start. This was legitimately one of the worst outings any Nationals starting pitcher Has ever had a 7 1 loss at the Dodgers on Wednesday afternoon. Patrick Corbin, six runs in two thirds of an inning. Yes, he did not make it out of the first inning. He, in a six run Dodgers first, allowed six runs, gave up an astounding seven hits, issued a walk, threw 45 pitches, a mere 26 of which were strikes 26 strikes versus 19 balls. And Mark, I think the most comical thing about that inning was that six of the seven hits and the walk all came with two outs. This wasn't necessarily an inning that looked awful from the get-go. I know Corbin did give up the leadoff double of Mookie Betts, but boy, did that thing unravel after Corbin had recorded two outs.
1: And I believe five of those six, Al, came with two strikes and two outs. He was consistently one pitch away from getting out of it, and who knows what might have happened after that, and he could not make that one pitch. Now, there was some defensive hijinks behind him that didn't help, of course, but you know what? You're a big league pitcher. You got to bail your guys out sometimes just because something doesn't go right behind you in the field doesn't excuse you from not being able to make pitches, and so against a good lineup like that, the fact that he could not just simply make one more pitch to get out of that. I mean, look, no manager ever wants to have to make that walk that David Martinez did in the first inning, both because of the humiliation for a starter of having that happen to him, but also what you're now going to have to ask your bullpen. And it's not like his pitch count in total was so high that, you know, he was going to be done. If he somehow gets out of the inning, he can probably give you another two or three potentially. But he was up to 45, and that's the danger zone. You get to. Anywhere past 40 and certainly approaching 50 in one inning of work, no manager is going to let you stay out there no matter how many runs you've given up. And so this ends up being only the ninth time in Nationals history that a starter failed to finish the first inning and only the fifth time that it happened for performance reasons. The other ones were either injury or an ejection.
0: Blow-up starts come in all shapes and sizes. Blow-up starts come in all forms and fashions. All you need do is ask Patrick Corbin because when it comes to the fashion of the blow up start, Patrick Corbin is Kylie Jenner. Okay. I mean, he knows how to do these things, he knows how to design these things. But even he had not had an outing like this. This really was humiliating. This really was embarrassing to see. I mean, you don't make it out of the first like this. And again, in a big spot, and I put big in quotation marks, like, yeah, the Nats are a really bad team, but this was an exciting game, a chance for a stunning sweep at the Dodgers, and it's like, you don't even get out of the gates. I mean, the game was basically over in the bottom of the first inning. Now, we are taping this installment of the Nats Chat podcast mercifully in the 7 p.m. hour on Wednesday, as opposed to like in the 3 a.m. hour, as had been the case of previous two nights. I have not yet seen or heard or read what Corbin said after the game. Please tell me. Please tell me that Corbin said to you guys once again that he felt good. Did he actually tell you that he felt good with this outing?
1: I don't think the specific phrase was uttered, <laughs> but uh, David Martinez did say at one point he's throwing the ball well in the broader picture here. But then he said he's not finishing. He's taking extra pitches to finish guys off. I don't think his slider was all that sharp, blah, 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 blah. So there was no sugarcoating going on here. It was nothing like that. Look, Corbin actually said, I just didn't fool them at all today. So that's acknowledgment on his part that it wasn't good and also took responsibility for now leaving the bullpen in that position. You know, he says it sucks when you can't go out there, do your job and pitch deep in the games and try to save them the bullpen, which had been outstanding throughout this uh, road trip and continued to be outstanding the rest of the way. But I mean, the numbers at this point are just unbelievable how bad they are. This is the sixth time this year he's given up six or more runs. It's the 14th time the last two seasons he's given up six or more runs. His ERA is 649, worst in the majors. His record is four and 14. We're still not officially two thirds of the way through the season. And this is the one that got me. His whip, walks and hits per innings pitched, is now 1.766. I look this up. No qualifying major league pitcher has finished a season with a whip over 1.7 since 2008, and that was the Pirates' Ian Snell. And the reason that no qualifying Major League pitcher has done it since then is because, typically speaking, if your numbers are that bad, you don't have the opportunity to finish out the year and actually qualify for the ERA title. Right now, there's no indication the Nationals plan to do anything but continue to put Patrick Corbin out there every fifth day, and that is the most disheartening thing of them all.
0: Yeah, and, you know, We've had the Patrick Corbin conversation. It feels like 4,000 times. And the thing is, we're probably going to have it about 4,000 more times because he isn't going anywhere. And when you think about like the biggest signs of why the Nats are where they are, the biggest indications of why the Nats are where they are, obviously you can look at the record. You can look at the run differential. There are all kinds of metrics you can point at. It. But I think kind of a basic thing is – What says so much is that Patrick Corbin continues to be allowed to be a member of this rotation. How many other teams in MLB would continue to trot this guy out there? It's not just that he is really bad. It's that he's getting progressively worse. He's not getting better. He's getting worse. His 2020 was bad. His 2021 was worse. His 2022 is even worse. He cannot be trusted. He had those back-to-back good starts against the Marlins and Pirates. And since then, he has been a wreck. Two bad starts against the Braves, a bad start against the Diamondbacks, and now a humiliating outing at the Dodgers. And yet, we're not even going to have the conversation about, well, should they pull him from the rotation? We know they're not going to. We know that he's going to continue to make starts. And that, as much as anything, tells you about where the Nats are with their pitching depth, with the state of the farm system, with the state of the organization. You know, the word culture gets used a lot in sports. It really says something that the culture of the Nats, right, who for the longest time, the starting pitching rich Nats, continue to allow Patrick Corbin and his six plus ERA to be a part of the rotation. And the conversation of whether he should be removed from the rotation isn't even worth having because you know that it's not going to happen.
1: Well, and also, I think we can say that it doesn't look like he's going to be traded either if we want to believe Mike Rizzo. So for those who didn't hear, uh, Rizzo had his weekly radio appearance on 106.7 with the Junkies, and they asked him about this idea, and we've discussed it, of would they try to package Corbin with Juan Soto or Josh Bell or somebody else and try to include him in a deal and get out of the rest of that contract and Rizzo and, you know, take it for what it's worth. I think any major league executive who's saying anything on the record in the days leading up to the trade deadline, you have to take with a grain of salt because they don't necessarily have to hold true to what they say publicly. But he basically shot that down, that idea completely. And I thought it was interesting wording.
2: We've never uh, contacted the team and, and talked about Juan Soto and attaching any contract to, to any player. We're not going to dilute a, a uh, a return for any player by
1: uh, by adding a bad contract. That's not where we're at in our organization uh, at, uh, at this time. We want to get the most for uh, for each and every trade that we do. So we certainly are not going to uh, uh, tack on a any, anybody's contract to uh, to any anybody's deal, including Juan Soto's or Josh Bell's or anybody's. Bad contract. That's Mike Rizzo essentially referring to Patrick Corbin's six-year, hundred forty million dollar deal. As a bad contract. I don't know if I've ever heard the GM of this team publicly admit something like that.
0: Yeah, that was interesting that he used that phrasing. And that's one of those moments of honesty that you don't normally get from sports executives. But, you know, it's like he said it. And I bet for a lot of people hearing that, you don't think twice about it because it's like, yeah, of course, that's a bad contract. You know, it was interesting the timing of this Corbin outing that it happens on the day on which Rizzo says what he says on the junkies. I was happy to hear that. I think it would be really foolish to use the Juan Soto trade chip, which is maybe the greatest trade chip in modern baseball history, as a means of cutting salary, cutting payroll. I think that would be such a waste. Get back a horde of stud prospects. If you're going to trade Soto, that's what you do. But, you know, at this point, I mean, It was Rizzo on the Junkies not that long ago who said, we're not trading Juan Soto. So I don't know really what to believe. Mike Rizzo with the Junkies on Wednesday morning also said,
1: unequivocally did not come from me for sure, 100% for sure, or from our front office. That that much I know for sure.
0: Regarding the leaking of Juan Soto having rejected the 15-year $440 million contract extension. So there's that. Interesting that he says I didn't do it. My people in the front office didn't do it. Uh, he didn't say the people above him didn't do it. So I think that's worth keeping in the back of your mind. There's a part of me I have to be honest with you that wouldn't mind seeing the Nats attach Corbin to Soto as a, in a trade, just because I would be interested to see if another organization would do better with Corbin. Because this continued decline of Corbin reflects obviously poorly on him, but you know it doesn't speak well on the Nats that he's bad. He's getting worse. Nobody has any answers. And we just keep going through this. You know, it doesn't look good for the Nats as an organization that they can't fix him or that they can't even like stop the bleeding. Like, again, he's getting worse. If his ERA was still in the fours, as was the case in 2020, you could maybe possibly live with that. His ERA is starting to creep towards seven. How and why is this happening and that nobody has an answer for that, I think is telling it again, it doesn't just reflect poorly on Corbin. It also looks bad on the organization.
1: Yeah, uh, we've brought this up for a while now. You would like to think that somebody who obviously has the talent that Patrick Corbin has and has had success not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, that an organization would be able to help him rediscover that or figure out some other way to go about it to find success again and it has not happened here and yeah i agree is it possible there's another team out there that looks at him and says you know we think we know what what's going on there we think we can fix him i mean that would be fascinating to see it would be awful for the nationals if it did happen especially if the nationals end up paying for that to happen because i don't think any team has just taken on the remaining 67 million dollars of his contract the nats would have to include it in any deal it's frustrating for everybody on so many levels obviously and it's funny, the last couple of days, we saw here what that looks like. We watched David Price pitching essentially mop-up relief for the Dodgers. He was the throw-in on the Mookie Betts trade from the Red Sox. The Dodgers are paying David Price a huge amount of money to basically be a mop-up man. And it's not pretty, but you've got to believe that if a move isn't made, that at some point here, the Nationals are going to have to do something similar with Corbin in terms of If you can honestly say you have five starters better, and they've got to be getting close to a point you can say that, you got to do this. Even just for this, even if you're at a loss for it, and you can't figure it out, and you don't even think you have any other options, are you going to let Patrick Corbin keep going out there every fifth day and become the major's first 20-game loser in like two decades? You know, I said earlier, the reason that no guys have had this bad of stats for a full season is because they never get to that point. They're always either sent down or dropped or whatever. In the case of Patrick Corbin are you really going to do that to him after what he's meant to the organization and keep throwing him out there and let him lose 20 maybe they will but I got to feel like at some point they're going to say okay we have somebody else we can start every fifth day hey Patrick It's time to find out if you can be a reliever for the rest of your career.
0: And if you don't get rid of him, are you going to dance this dance for another two years? I mean, it's not unlike the Steven Strasburg thing in that regard. Are you going to keep going through this with Strasburg for another four years after this of, okay, rehab, see where he's at, you know, work him back up, build up his arm. Like how much longer are we going to have to go through this with these guys? Strasburg and Corbin, I mean, two very different situations, no doubt. But man, Each situation just feels so hopeless at this point with the Nats. Now, with that six-run first, there was some hideous Nats defense in that inning. This isn't why Corbin struggled, but there was a bad news bears moment in this inning. Corbin gave up a two-out RBI double to Gavin Lux on a lazy fly ball that landed between Victor Robles and Juan Soto in deep right center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 6 nothing Dodgers lead. When I say lazy fly ball, I mean lazy fly ball. The hit had an expected batting average of 0.80 per stat cast, as in 0.080. And this was one of those hits where you got it. No, you got it. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? And the ball dropped between Robles and Soto. This was such a bad look. What did Davey Martinez say about that play after the game?
1: Said it's just it's communication. It is up to the two outfielders to be talking to each other as that plays out. Never assume what the other guy is going to do.
0: Lack of communication. You know they didn't communicate. Uh, ball fell between them.
1: Generally speaking, you say, oh, the uh, center fielder should take precedent, and anything that's hit out there, you defer to him. Well, that's fine, but Victor Robles would have to actually call him off. And if the ball is closer to Juan Soto in right field, Soto can't just assume that Robles is going to take it. If he doesn't hear otherwise, he needs to, you know, potentially go for it himself. So it's bad. You know, that happens. I, I'm not going to excuse them at all for it. But when that happens at what the ninth batter of an inning that has already fallen apart in a game that's already starting to fall apart on you, maybe the mind wanders a little bit. Again, no excuse for that happening, but I do wonder if that had something to do with it. This wasn't the first or second batter of the inning. It was uh, almost at the end of the inning. But no, Davey was hard on them for it. And it all comes down to a simple act of talking to each other, which you would think as teammates and as guys who have played together a lot (laughs) in those two positions, that at this stage of the game, they should probably know how to work with each other.
0: Yeah. I mean, they came up Through the minors together, right? They're Dominican brothers. I mean, uh, geez, if two guys are going to communicate well on the Nats, you'd think Robles and Soto are a pretty uh, promising pair of Nats players to be communicating well, and that did not happen. That was ugly. That was a really ugly bottom of the first inning, and that ended up being the game. Uh, You know, we've seen the Nats come back some lately. There was no comeback in this game. The Nats were down 6-0 after one. The Nats lost the game 7-1. The offense did basically nothing in this game. One run, five hits. Uh, The Nats did draw five walks in the game, but went one for nine with runners in scoring position. Uh, Juan Soto, 0 for 3 with a walk, struck out twice. Josh Bell, 0 for 3 with a walk, struck out twice. Nelson Cruz, 0 for 3 with a walk. He struck out once. Uh, Lane Thomas did have two hits. Actually had a double and a single each on an 0-2 pitch. That was good. But otherwise, I mean, just next to nothing happening in this game. And, you know, certainly Patrick Corbin is the headline item. But man, this Nats offense, even if Corbin had been good, I'm not sure the Nats win this game on Wednesday, just because this was just one of those games in which the Nats offense was asleep like throughout the game.
1: Yeah, no, there was nothing going on. And is it because they're down six nothing early? I don't know. Is it just that these are who the Nationals are? And the idea that they can string together hits on consecutive days is is pretty foreign to them. Andrew Haney coming back From the IL to make his first start. I mean, he threw 71 pitches in four innings. You would think that that would produce some runs, but no, it did not. There were zero runs on the board. There was one hit, an infield single by Michael Franco, and then there were three walks, and that's all they did against him. They finally got the back-to-back doubles in the seventh from Thomas and Garcia, but there was just nothing. Going on. And there's a point, it's like the fifth inning of this game. Dave Roberts is already starting to pull his guys. Freddie Freeman was out of the game. He later on pulled Trey Turner from the game. And I'm thinking to myself, it's not out of the realm of possibility to make up six runs in four or five innings. But maybe that's a sign of him reading the Nationals lineup and how little they were doing and the situation they were in with their pitching staff. It just felt like as soon as the first inning was over, all right, boys, we got eight more innings. Let's just get this thing over with and get on a plane.
0: Yeah. That is a pretty (laughs) disrespectful thing to do. (laughs) From a Nats perspective, that says a lot about what Dave Roberts and the Dodgers think of you, that that's what they ended up doing, just yanking starters uh, like that that early in the game. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Beat the heat with Window Nation which right now is offering a very special deal. Save $200 off any style of window from Window Nation with every two windows that you buy, plus make no payments and pay no interest until 2024 plus you can receive a free entry door with the purchase of a house of windows. Save yourself thousands of dollars on your new windows and on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Here's all that you need to do. Go to WindowNation.com or call 866-90Nation and tell WindowNation Nation that Al Galdi sent you. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Your windows matter. Lean on the experts of Window Nation and get yourself the special deal. Again, save $200 off any style of window from Window Nation with every two windows that you buy, plus make no payments and pay no interest until 2024 and receive a free entry door with the purchase of a house of windows. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90nation and tell WindowNation that Al Galdi sent ya. That's windownation.com or 866-90nation and tell WindowNation that Al Galdi sent ya.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed.
1: Luckily, that you know, tomorrow we have a day off. Now, bullpen uh, once again, up, bullpen went out there and pitched really well. But you know, they were they were the saviors of the day.
0: Well, if you're looking for some kind of a positive from Wednesday, it would be the Nats bullpen, which actually ended up sealing the deal on maybe the single most impressive series that the Nats bullpen has had this season. So, obviously, the bullpen was leaned on a ton in this game with Patrick Corbin only lasting for two-thirds of an inning. Four Nats relievers ended up combining to allow one run in seven and a third innings. So, Rosmo Ramirez, three and a third scoreless innings. Steve Ciszek, two scoreless innings. Jordan Weems, a perfect bottom of the seventh. And then Andres Machado did give up a run in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, He gave up a single and issued three walks. But you take a step back and you look at what the Nats bullpen did in this series. The 4-1 win on Monday night, five Nats relievers combined for five scoreless innings with six strikeouts. The 8-3 win on Tuesday night, four Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings. And then the 7-1 loss on Wednesday afternoon, four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in seven and a third innings. Considering the opposition, I can't think of a better series for the Nats bullpen this season. Also considering no Tanner Rainey, you were limited in terms of not having Kyle Finnegan and Carl Edwards Jr. on Tuesday night. You ended up not using either one of those guys on Wednesday afternoon. You had to make up for a starter only lasting for two-thirds of an inning in that Wednesday afternoon game. And yet still, the bullpen ended up being excellent for the Nats in this series.
1: And they were this close to continuing the streak that they've been on. (laughs) Andres Machado got to two outs in the eighth without anybody across. And then this little seeing-eye single from Gavin Lux past a diving Cesar Hernandez brings in the run. That ended their streak of for the bullpen 21 and two thirds consecutive scoreless innings. It goes back to part of the Arizona series. So that is incredible for them to keep that going as long as they did. And like you said, they were getting the contributions from everybody. And I want to single out Erasmo Ramirez here because I think this says it all. I mean, he had to pitch the night before and get out of a jam against Betts and Turner to get out of that jam. And then he ends up as the long man in this game coming into the first inning, which is something the reliever is never really expecting or prepared for. Well, here's all you need to know. Patrick Corbin recorded two outs, gave up six runs, and did it on 45 pitches. Erasmo Ramirez recorded over the last two games, recorded 12 outs, did not give up a run, and did it on 44 pitches, okay, against the Dodgers, okay? (laughs) Okay. Sometimes the guys who don't have the big names, you think of, oh, the long relievers, the mop-up men, whatever you want to call them, oh, they're not that good. Hey, let's give credit to Rosmo Ramirez and the other members of this bullpen for shutting down a really good Dodgers lineup.
0: Yeah, and it feels like kind of a waste of a great stretch here for the bullpen. I mean, you did have your three-game winning streak, that's true, but boy, you get this kind of work, you want to take advantage of it, and uh, you couldn't do it, certainly On Wednesday afternoon. So no game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up is a six-game homestand. Three games against the St. Louis Cardinals this weekend and then three games against the New York Mets uh, next Monday through Wednesday. As we are taping this installment of the Nats Chat podcast, a Cade Cavalli outing for AAA Rochester has been completed. Uh, Cavalli on uh, what I guess Wednesday evening we'll say five scoreless innings. So he was good in this game. This was a game against Scranton Wilkes-Barre. Cavalli, five scoreless innings, uh, three strikeouts, did issue three walks, gave up three hits. It's been a choppy season for Cavalli, as we've discussed. He got off to a really bad start. he was really good. Lately, it's been kind of hit and miss. He's had some good outings, some not so good outings. The, uh, the Nats, as an organization, have kind of rested him a little bit to preserve his arm here. You know, we've said many times, well, it feels like we're getting close. I would think that we are getting close, but, you know, until he's up, we don't know. Do you think an outing like Corbin's in any way impacts what we might see here with Cavalli? Not that Corbin's going to be yanked from the rotation here, but that there is a sense here of, all right, we got to start – trying to expedite this Cavalli thing a little bit, especially too, if the Nats are about to trade away Juan Soto and Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz and who knows who else, do you think marketing or trying to just make people still care about the season enters into the equation and at all compels the Nats to call up Cade Cavalli to finally make his major league debut?
1: So I think that's the fascinating question here. There are potentially reasons that you would say, hey, why bother? Why start his service clock? Let them just go ahead and continue to pitch a triple A, have some success, and then bring them up maybe at the end of the year for a couple of token starts. But if you really, a week from now, are looking at a completely different roster and a team that has given up and moved away its best players and most marketable players, and you're trying to give fans a reason to be excited about what may still come. We did sort of see it last year after the trade deadline. They made a big deal out of Josiah Gray's debut, out of Caber Ruiz's debut. All the guys they acquired in those trades when they called them up in August, they promoted those a lot. Well, let's see who they get in the trades this year, but you have the most potentially marketable prospect of them all sitting there at AAA, seemingly ready to go, and I do wonder if in an attempt to shift the narrative, once they get past the trade deadline on Tuesday, if they say, okay... It's time. We're moving on to the future. We're going to see the, the kid out there. You know, I think there's logic behind all of that. I could also understand if they say it's not worth it to put him out there if he's going to get beat around or, you know, to play on a team that is this bad and be a part of, you know, a team that's going to lose over 100 games it could be bad for his psych years, development, or whatever that is. I, I suppose I understand that. But if he keeps pitching as well as he has, Uh, And he, you know, in the bigger picture over the last month to six weeks has been very good. To me, it's hard to make the justification much longer for why he's still down there.
0: I do respect the fact that the Nats have not allowed anything to govern what they do with Cavalli. They've had this mantra of we're not going to let what happens at the major league level dictate what we do with Cavalli as he remains at the minor league level. So, you know, to me, it would be disappointing if marketing or business operations entered into when they call up Cavalli. If you don't think he's ready, don't call him up. I think, though, the question starts to become, why and how isn't he ready? Because we all thought going into this season, he would be up here by now. I mean, I think we all thought going into this season, he would be up by, say, May, June at the latest. Well, we're now approaching August and he still isn't up. And you say, well, why exactly is that? To your point, he has been pitching better, pitched well, on Wednesday evening. And uh, hopefully we see him sooner rather than later. And good God, hopefully he pitches well. Because if he doesn't, man, that is going to be such a buzzkill that your number one prospect, obviously your number one pitching prospect, doesn't get off to the great start. Although obviously not getting off to a great start doesn't doom you as a pitcher. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. That's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a NatsChatPodcast t-shirt by going to site. That's site. All Nationals radio highlights. On Nats Chat, our courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with a look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats, July 2021. And today on this installment of the podcast, we're looking back at a Nats win, a 6-4 win at the Philadelphia Phillies on July 27th, 2021. This game was notable for multiple reasons, including... Trey Turner, he in this game had a one-out infield single in a three-run Nats first. He then got pulled from the game in the bottom of the first due to having tested positive for COVID-19. This game ended up marking the final game for Trey Turner as a Nat, and it was prior to this game that we got the Steven Strasburg news that he needed to undergo surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome good times last july for the Nats. uh we thank you for listening to the Nats chat podcast i found out uh right after he he, he had scored we pulled him i had a pull, protocol i have to pull him right out of the game so uh you know he goes in and do the protocol he's got, he's got to go get isolated right away and uh and now he, he'll get
1: tested and then from there we'll see what happens.
0: Trey Turner was the Nationals' starting shortstop and number two batter. He had a one-out infield single in the Nationals' three-run first inning, then got pulled from the game in the bottom of the first inning. Now, of course, this set social media on fire because he didn't suffer an apparent injury. You know, people were kind of looking at, well, did he get hurt here? Did something happen there? And then it's like, well, they must have pulled him because they're about to trade him. And then we get the announcement that he's been pulled because he tested positive for COVID-19. Now, of course, that begs the question of, don't they get the test results back before the starts of these games? Apparently not. Davey Martinez, during his postgame presser, reveals that he found out about Trey having tested positive right after Josh Bell homered. Bell with a one-out three-run shot with runners at the corners in the top of the first inning. So now we have yet another COVID-19 situation for the Nationals in this 2021 season.
1: I mean, you you could not, no Hollywood writer would come up with that one, you know? I mean, really, who would throw that wrench into everything <laughs> as a plot twist on a season that has had so many of them already? And like you and like everyone else, I went through the same emotions as soon as he came out of the game, thinking, uh-oh, what happened here? Did he just get traded? I start texting some people. I, I kind of got sense, no, didn't sound like anybody knew about a trade having gone down. So then you start watching the replays and say, well... Sliding in third, he got up and he was kind of huffing and puffing a lot and maybe didn't quite feel right. And then, you know, he, he sort of just really didn't even jog all the way to home plate, almost like walked to home plate on the home run, didn't stick around to high five. Everyone just sort of walked back to the dugout and you're thinking, man, maybe he really wasn't feeling something. Doesn't appear that any of that happened. According to Davey, he never felt anything wrong. And it was simply a case of as soon as he got back in the dugout, Davey had to immediately tell him, we just got back a positive test. You need to go isolate right now. And your question about the timing of it—the way that this has seemed to go—all all the indications I've gotten the last two seasons while they've been doing this—is they take the test one morning, and typically the results are about thirty-six hours. So it's the next late afternoon or early evening. Typically, they would get that before a game starts, but sometimes it does creep into game time if it's running a little later, or whatever. Or you know, I don't know details in this case, but sometimes. You get a positive test. They may need to recheck it just to confirm it, something like that. So he's not the first guy this has happened to, unfortunately. There have been others with other teams that we've seen get pulled out of game. Obviously, Justin Turner is the most famous one during the clinching game of the World Series late in that game. So as annoying as that is, this isn't totally unusual for it to happen in that way. But now they wait and see what happens from this. You know, officially, he wasn't on the COVID IL yet. Just the protocol said he had to remove from the game, but obviously he's going to have to be in quarantine for some period of time until he starts testing negative. And so many ramifications from this because, again, a player whose name has been coming up all of a sudden on trade rumors. And is that still possible? Is it now mean that he's with them for the rest of the year and beyond? And I don't know the answer to that as we sit here recording this late on Tuesday night. <music>